Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is Podcast, a podcast for lovers and dreamers and me. I'm your host, Jason Farr. Let's do this. So glad to have you here. Today is my birthday, so thank you. Thank you for wishing me a happy birthday today. <laughs> you can find out more about the podcast if this is your first time listening. At thereitispod.com, we have old episodes and blogs up for you to read, and you can subscribe to us on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please leave a review. I would appreciate that. You can also donate to the podcast. If you go to thereitispod.com, you can click on support, and those are for people who have their-itis, which is a condition where you fiend for more episodes of the There It Is podcast. Today's episode is a great one. I talked to Philly improviser Matt Holmes. Really great talk. He does a really interesting show. We talk about that, uh, and we also talk about his approach to improv. He's got a very simplified, good approach to improv, and we have a really interesting discussion about that. It's a really good talk, so let's get right to it. Here's my chat with Matt Holmes. Where did you get your start in improv and in, in, in performance? I think when I was in high school, getting into college, I started looking into, um, you know, just what interests me. Uh, I was in a band for a little bit. I was trying writing, all different kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. painting. So I think that's common at that age, just kind of looking at different things and seeing what interests you mm-hmm. yeah and all I, creative I had, stuff yeah and i had always been interested in comedy as well so uh just sort of you know watching it more than just uh as an audience member you know with a with an eye to like why does that work and how is that funny and mm. knowing the backstory of stand-ups and the cast of snl and yeah sounds you know, what, like what all probably a lot of my listeners yeah <laughs> yeah yeah um, but yeah, so then the, the standard, like there's a college improv group, mm-hmm. so get on, you know, audition for it and get onto it and then get all into that. The same as, you know, people getting into whatever other club or acapella. Right. Um, and what and college was that? Sticking with it. This was at a uh, Cabrini college, now Cabrini university. Okay. And what was the, the team that was there? Uh, it went through like 40 different names <laughs> while we were there, <laughs> but there's quite a few other, uh, Philly improvisers who were also, uh, from that group with me and are now doing improv at Philly improv theater and all around the place. Oh, very cool. So did you leave Philly to, at any point to do improv or to study improv? No, I, 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 I might as well have been in like Idaho. <laughs> for the amount of like official uh improv that I got um we after I graduated um uh, I started a group mm-hmm. and through the other people in the group we had some contacts to um teachers from UCB 
mm-hmm. um, they had worked with their college group, uh, and we took advantage of that. So like, uh, yeah. Lennon Parham, who's on, uh, was a teacher at UCB and is now on, uh, playing house on USA. Mm-hmm. We worked with her a bunch of times, Chris Gathard, Bobby Moynihan, like <clears throat> they, they were kind of instrumental in, and, and others were instrumental in helping, uh, helping me learn the wider scope of improv. Mm-hmm. So you and then we went a, around to like festivals. So you have more of a UCB approach. No, I would say that that's a whole other thing is I learned, you know, from truth and comedy mm-hmm. and found that to be kind of like, this is a little bit, uh, like we're overthinking it here. <laughs> All okay. of the rules of don't do this and you have to do that. Mm-hmm. And had a real problem with a lot of what I was learning from improv. Mm-hmm. And, and then as I moved on to getting more of like, well, what does Second City teach? What does UCB teach? I found the same thing where it was all kind of like an unclear way of explaining something that should be more simple. Mm-hmm. So I would say that my approach is kind of taking everybody else's approaches and trimming away all of the stuff that is, in my opinion, kind of stupid or mm-hmm. counterproductive and boiling it down to like, we're just playing pretend. How can we most effectively play pretend? Okay. And what is your philosophy? What is, what is it you have trimmed down to? Well, when I teach uh, improv, and that includes like to myself, I try to focus on, you know, what are we actually doing? We're starting from nothing mm-hmm. or from a suggestion and just getting something out there and then building on that. So I've tried to boil that down to like, do something, do it more, do it bigger mm-hmm. as like a simple three step mantra for myself and for teaching other people. Cause that's really that's all mantra. that I, <laughs> I like it, whether you're doing stand up or sketch or improv or whatever else is going on, all the audience really needs and you, what you need and your partners need is to find something and then to like make it like, well, yeah, that's the thing that we're, that's, that's the whole point of it. Mm-hmm. And it can be anything. It can be something about a character. It can be something that turns into like a, a catchphrase or like a weird game that you're mm-hmm. playing, but it's all just something that you're, you know, sticking with and then blowing up so that it's not right. one note over and over again. Right. Exactly. It's a really perfect way to simplify and explain exactly what it is you're doing in comedy, whether it's a scene in a TV show or movie or some, something you've written or a scene of improv or a stand-up joke. It really is, we're doing this thing, we're doing it more, and then we're doing it bigger. Mm-hmm. It really and is I don't, that and simple. I think that that's, I think that's underlying everything mm-hmm. else. If you like UCB's style, this is underneath whatever specific decisions there. If you are, if you think that like what I learned, you know, don't ever ask a question. Don't ever say the word no. Uh, In the first, you know, one second, you have to get out everybody's names, the who, what, where, when, why, relationships, all of these things. If that's what you want to do, which I don't, I think that's kind of counterproductive to like realism and 
the stress of having to, you know, make everything uh, without a script, without a plan. Mm-hmm. That if, you know, if that's whatever your thing is, whatever you've learned, this can help you underneath. Yeah, that's a really, really good point to make. That's resonating with me in a couple of ways. One, it's because it's what I see out there whenever I'm looking at anyone that I like, regardless of where they trained and how they perform. You're right. It's an underlying thing. It's also resonating with me because I'm one of those people who has read a bunch of different things. I've read stuff from IO thinkers and UCB thinkers and all these different people. And you have different methods that are swirling around in your brain and you do need to sort of trim out certain things to just get down to what's the core. What What's the thing yeah. that is true no matter what style of play I'm doing and what school of thought I'm using. So I really like that. That's cool. And even if you're just with one school of thought uh, or one training system, mm-hmm. that can be like... Uh, contradictory, self-contradictory, you know, mm-hmm. anything is fine. You know, we're, we're just playing and have fun, relax and don't think about it. But then, uh, here's what you should be strategically doing. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> it immediately gets you overthinking. Right. Yeah. There's that chess pl- of, uh, that, that sort of chess improv play where people are thinking, what's the next move that should be made and what's the move that'll come however many steps down the line. And that is overthinking. I mean, some people are naturally like that and they can do yeah. good work, be, you know, despite that they think that way or, or however you want to word it. But training everyone to be that way when not everyone thinks that way is maybe not going to be useful to everybody. And they yeah, do that's need it. Why I, yeah, that's probably why I struggled so much. I've talked with, uh, other students, other, you know, team, uh, team members, partners, and they're saying like, Oh yeah, well, you know, I go through these three things in my mind and then I reject the first thing and then I am evaluating what else is going on. And I'm like, I'm not doing any of this. (laughs) I'm struggling just to like stay engaged and you know, maybe it's more feeling and playing than anything, uh, very logical or, cerebral if i have to think of like oh well you know how is this going to wrap up and how am i going to get to some end point uh that's too much thinking for me i imagine that helps you as an instructor as well because instead of trying to break this code for every person who comes in now you can say here's the simple approach that you need to understand it'll help you regardless of what type of player you are yeah, if I'm working with people who I think are newer, I'll, you know, I don't try to teach them the wrong way first and then course correct afterwards. I get right to like this is the simple thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you might be stressed out about the end, but we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. You know, uh just get the beginning rolling and then let it kind of snowball from there. But if I'm working with people who I know have studied at a bunch of different places, um, and might be thinking the same thing as I have, have been confused and conflicted about what works or what doesn't work, and am I doing it wrong? I'll have like a big poster or something like that with all of the different rules that mm-hmm. are probably in everybody's head, and I'll rip it up in front of them to say, like, forget all of that and just start from the beginning. 
Mm-hmm. You've got nothing. You've got a suggestion. Make a choice. The other person's also going to make a choice. See where you are, and then lay down some track. That's cool. So where to from there? You started teaching how long ago? Well, it, when you're in a college improv group, mm-hmm. you become a, a, a teacher as soon as you're not the newest person on the group. Right. A lot of times. Um, so, uh, you know, I was teaching as like a, say, a, a sophomore in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we were also, like, one time we went to like a, an elementary school or something, and we, I was teaching like eight-year-olds or six-year-olds, like how to do some goofy, like, fart joke improv. <laughs> so I've been, uh, you know, not just learning and <laughs> teaching myself, but also figuring out how to pass that information along to people who are two steps behind me um, as long as I've been doing it. Yeah, and what sort of, if any, roadblocks did you run into with that? Because I know I've run into roadblocks when I started coaching a team and I hadn't been in the company I'm in for seven years or anything like that. I haven't even been doing improv for that amount of time. And so I'm coaching people who are maybe brand new to the company, but I'm only a year and a half, two years in at this point, you know, like at the time of my starting. And I noticed I'm still learning. How do I I teach people something that I'm not going to end up changing? How do I find the way to just teach them the right stuff? I think that's part of it. Everybody is always learning and improving. There's no like, okay, now I can drive a car. I can show somebody else how to drive a car. Right. You're constantly you're constantly getting better and constantly like reevaluating, you know, or at least for like say for the first decade of doing it, mm-hmm. it's not you're never done. Mhm. Right. And it can be a challenge to to say like, "Oh, well I used to say this or think that, but now it's different." In the middle of instructing somebody, it might hit you like, you know, that that's not right. That's not very helpful. Um, and it can also be a challenge to say like, well, you know, you know about as much as I do. I'm just sort of facilitating it. Right. And that can kind of be disempowering right. for somebody trying to be up in front of people. I wonder how to make that sort of change a lot of times. And uh, it's good to know that that's something I'm always going to be dealing with. It's like actually encouraging. Now, now I don't have to freak I feel, I feel out. Like it's, yeah, that, I feel like that's the same as performing. People think, you know, I haven't learned the rules yet, uh, but you have, so now it's easy for you. And I don't think that's true. I think it's it's always something that is hard. Yeah. And it's you're just used to it being hard. Right. Right. It's kind of like first year in college oh, gosh, his workload is crazy. And it's not the yeah. worst workload you're going to have in college. And then your last year, much more of a workload, but you can handle it better because you're used to having a heavier workload. Yeah. Like, I still get nervous before a show, it's, but I'm not, like, uh, upset about being nervous anymore. <laughs> right. I've accepted that, like, that's what improv is. Right. Like, I'm never, I'm never expecting... You know, for me to know everything on stage, for me to have everything fall into place, I'm expecting it to be like work. Whereas uh, 
people who are new, they expect that there's going to be some sort of switch that's going to flip <laughs> and they're suddenly going to be an expert at it. That's much more gradual and it's more about like accepting <laughs> that you don't know what you're doing. Right. And that's why some people call it a journey because you don't flip a switch and end up at B from A. You know, you, you still have that dash in between A, a to B that right. you have to take. And it's just one step at a time. So it's this gradual process that ends you up somewhere. Uh, and then you're going to keep going from there. <laughs> you're going to go B to yeah, C. That's, that's something that, you know, any student or any beginner teacher, beginner coach should accept is that it's not, I was bad and now I'm good. It's I'm getting there and I'm constantly uh, improving. Yeah. And you know, when it comes to something like performing improv or music or what have you, you're never really reaching your full potential because with each step in your progress that you make, there's now more potential for you. That's true. So you're always going to be at a place of reaching for potential, and that's a good thing. That's something that people should enjoy and like. Yeah, and people should expect to go up and down. Right. I, I watched something once about uh, somebody, you know, how do we learn language? Is it all of a sudden we know how to speak as babies? Uh, or is it something that, like, we we get better and then we kind of get worse and then it goes up and down? Somebody recorded uh, his, his child's, like, first three years in mm-hmm. how they speak and found that it's not like, oh, it, it just gets better. It's not one day I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I was babbling and now I'm speaking coherent sentences. <laughs> it's up and down and you know, progress and a regression. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, it's like you said, it's a journey and it's not a smooth, consistent journey. It's up and down and plateauing out and being worse than you were before, or it's feeling like you're worse than you were before. Cause now you have a whole new perspective on it. It's rough and people should just sort of accept that. Right. What was your experience, uh, at the theater you're at? when you started to develop shows or maybe even develop teams? Uh, yeah, so my experience was basically uh, college improv focused mm-hmm. on uh, games and short form. Mm-hmm. And then post-college, like, let's put together a group and we don't know exactly what we're going to do. And then just sort of developing something that that turned into, like, loose, long form, not a herald and not a montage exactly, but just sort of you know, getting up and doing stuff and a feeling for the momentum of it or the structure of it without Mm -hmm. being a clear label. Uh, We formed a group called Rare Bird Show. This was in uh, like 2003 into 2004. And then uh, immediately started going to, you know, festivals. We were in the marathon down to North Carolina. Mm -hmm. And through all that, uh, also, you know, having access to, big name festival teachers and bringing back those workshops and uh, kind of having a, a long time to workshop what we want to do and why rather than sort of, you know, having your Herald team now, 
be a Herald team or uh, having any sort of like specific directive. Right. Uh, so it was very, it was very process driven mm-hmm. and developmental. And then along the way, just other random stuff um, <laughs> that was like, oh, you know, that was kind of fun. Being part of a bigger group is kind of fun. Being part of a smaller group is fun. And then at a certain point, uh, I had through all of that, like, oh, there's so many great people that I'd love to perform with as well. I thought of like a sort of a Marvel team up kind of mm. project. <laughs> cool. And that and that kind of morphed into okay, I'm now doing a show that is me with an audience member, and that just like all the pieces fell into place. Where like that is perfect for me, so I'm going to stick with that. Oh, very cool. So, what made you say that that was perfect for you? Um, the first time was kind of like a like a whim, and I tried it out, and I was like, that that just works. Like the format is funny and interesting on its own, so I can kind of rely on that. Right, because you're can, for the sake of listeners who maybe don't know your show, Matt and is you're bringing up an audience member. And generally speaking, it's someone who's never done any sort of improv before, right? Yeah, 99% of the time it is, you know, somebody's dad or, <laughs> you know, spouse or friend who's been dragged along like, you know, I'm, I'm into improv and comedy, like come to this show. And then they get chosen oh, wow. to be my partner for a show. It's like, you know, messing with a friend, but... <laughs> You know, messing with a stranger who right. doesn't know how to do improv. And so, why is that so perfect for for you? Uh, well, I found that I'm naturally uh, like a high status player. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm playing with uh, somebody who is not a, a player, I have to play low status to them occasionally, oh, or okay. else the show doesn't quite work. I'm naturally kind of a steamroller. Mm-hmm. Uh, of a player and I have to be in this mm-hmm. but then I also have to not be in this <laughs> right it takes anything that is you know good about me and makes it like necessary mm-hmm. and takes anything that's bad and makes it like well I have to balance that out or else the show's not going to work oh that's so cool that that's your approach because a lot of people will say oh I can just do whatever I want but you're saying it enhances my strengths and it makes me better in my weaknesses. Yeah, I certainly could be like, well, I'm naturally kind of pushy and, you know, I was in a three-person group and was hogging the stage in uh, in that where you're already getting a lot of stage time. Here, I'm just going to kind of run the place and the audience member is just like a pawn for me to position. <laughs> and I could do that, but I don't want to do that. I I think it's much more interesting for me to play with them as though they are the greatest improviser in the world uh, and be, you know, sharing and giving and using whatever they're throwing out. Uh, A, because it works better, and B, because it's, you know, a better way to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine you have to take out judgment because a lot of people, they would go into that situation and... They're, you know, if, if it's an audience member, it thinks, oh, I'm going to throw out this joke. 
because I'm so hilarious and it's that kind of audience member. A lot of people yeah. would approach that as like, oh, gosh, they're that kind of audience member. But you can't do that if you want to have I, I a successful show. My, yeah, I can't judge or doubt my partner at all. And I have, I have to treat everything that they say as gold. Right. Because the otherwise, so high. Yeah. Uh, it's great for people to do that when they're playing with other improvisers. You know, if whatever they did, that's, you know, down in ink now that we've, we're right. in the middle of performing it. Right. But right. for me, I, I extra have to do it. Absolutely. Because otherwise I've, I've taken somebody who is, you know, just trying to see a show and made them look <laughs> stupid. And I never want to do that. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, do you have to give their money back if uh, they perform? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I haven't thought about that, but you know, uh, I imagine aside from what we're talking about, that there are a lot of like wrinkles in, in how you have to approach the show. Um, what else uh, comes with doing a show of this nature? Um, well, part of it is just, you know, making sure that there's enough of the audience. Right. Part of it is, the producing of a show and, and the advertising of a show and spreading the word and, you know, trying to, uh, get people there so that I have people to, to play with. But part of it also is making them comfortable with me, exactly. making them comfortable getting on stage, um, explaining a little bit of what's going to happen. Um, you know, how long it's going to be, uh, what it's going to feel like that I have all the responsibility mm-hmm. that they can do nothing wrong, that everything that they say and do is, is perfect. And that the, that everybody there wants it to work and wants them to look great, that it's not like a prank. On right. Them. You're not setting them up for failure. That it's, it's like any other improv duo that you might see. It's just that one of the people has never learned how to do improv <laughs> Um, and you know, that's, that's kind of the gimmick of it, but it Mm -hmm. also shows how, shows a little bit of like what improv is. Right. How long generally would you say it takes for people to get comfortable with you? They may never get comfortable with being on stage and (laughs) feeling like they have to perform, but how do you make them feel like you're on their side? Uh, just trying to be personable, um, smiling, lots of... (laughs) kind of psychological tricks mm-hmm. um, of eye contact and smiling and, you know, shaking their hand and getting them comfortable. Uh, but I've found that everybody is, the bottom line is that everybody is unique. Some people right. take right to it. Some people try to be funny right away. Some people, the greatest part is how they've been shy and hesitant for 28 minutes and then, mm-hmm they end the show by like making a great callback that they wouldn't know is, you know, that what they're doing is, is called a callback. Right. Exactly. That's one of the most, one of the most magical or maybe mysterious is a better word things about that is when you're just being an audience member, it's so much easier to do these great moves, these great comedic moves. But when you're in the moment and you have to think of something, then it's, a lot harder to make those connections. Yeah. The more you put stress and weight 
on doing it, mm-hmm. the the less fun it is. So right. The funniest people are, you know, people who just sort of throw out a comment over dinner, mm-hmm. you know, not and are accidentally making a callback or a connection and insight into something without, you know, trying to be the funniest guy in the room. Right. How has the show developed over time? Honestly, I would say it's pretty pretty much the idea is the show. Mm-hmm. I've played around with how to train myself to do it, but mm-hmm. the show is just, hi, you know, can I get somebody from the audience in one way or another mm-hmm. and bring them up and... I, you know, I can't have a framework. I, yeah, you know, I can't try to do a mono scene. <laughs> right, um, right. There's been a few things like lately I've added a, a musician to accompany me and more like tech booth stuff, background sounds and, and lighting effects to make it feel more like a show and less like we're just two people standing on stage with mm-hmm. chairs and pretending like we have cups in our hands. Yeah. Um, but by and large, like the idea is what it has been for almost a decade now. That's a long time to be doing a show like that. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a s- performed sporadically, but uh, the time goes by, <laughs> and before you know it, it's it'll be nine years in March. Oh, very cool! Congrats! This is my first time. Yeah. Wow! Congrats! What is your process when starting a scene with someone who just doesn't know what they're supposed to do necessarily? Is there anything that's pretty much always what happens that and that involves you to express certain things or do certain things? Uh, I find that I play a lot more like characters. I'll put on a voice and a posture and maybe a bit of physicality more than I might if you know, I weren't trying to very quickly establish some kind of scene that we're already in the middle of. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I've played like that outside of Matt and um, just in general. I think it's nice to have a, a scene that starts and it's as though you've turned on the TV and a movie is in the middle of itself mm-hmm. instead of like, hi, how are you? You're also at this party Uncle Jim, you know, stuff like that, where you're doing a lot of like uh, exploring and, and exposition and making decisions to, you know, cut right to I'm already what, you know, who I am and what I'm doing. Right. Okay. That's uh, that's something I'd like to delve into with you because we were talking earlier about how sometimes coming up with the who, what, and where, the platform, all of that information and feeling like it's something that needs to get done is a distraction. What is it that you feel does need to get done, especially for a show like Mad And? Uh, I feel like you just need something. Like, you, if you start a scene and you're like, oh, I'm so angry at you. You really betrayed me. I'm frustrated. I can't believe you would do this to me. That's what's important. And that's right. the something that I'm going to do more of and bigger. We might discover the relationship or that we're having this fight in the middle of a Starbucks as opposed to in the bedroom. But all of that is just, you know, fleshing out the rest of the painting. Mm-hmm. What's, what's important is whatever you choose to make important. I like that. That's a really good point, too, because a lot of the good improv I see, they may end up saying, 
you know, naming their characters and their relationship and everything. But what they were really focusing on wasn't coming up with names and figuring out what this relationship was, but it's exactly what you said. Like the thing that was more important, which was the more the big thing that just happened. <laughs> what yeah. was just said think, and what does that mean? Yeah. The who, what and where sometimes really don't matter. And right. especially some of those extra who, what and where, like, well, I always say, like, does it matter if they're sisters or cousins? I don't know. Like, <laughs> some of some of the specifics, they might be important. Mm-hmm. We might choose to say them to clarify stuff in case, you know, a lot of times in scenes, it might the the genders of the performers confuse the genders of the characters. Mm-hmm. Then you might get into like, okay, well, it's two women and they're acting as though they're married is one of the women playing a husband or are they both women who are married to each other? You know, some of, sometimes you can get into unhelpful vagueness mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, just make a decision, you know, right. say dad, say whatever. <laughs> right. But realize that that's just kind of getting something out of the way as opposed yeah. to making it, you know, it's all about that. That's very good clarity, I think. It's it's that sort of unhelpful vagueness. And yeah. that is a pretty common thing for uh, me to see, at least, are people are like, I'm not quite sure what this is. Uh, and so I'm still just moving along, but I'm not defining it. And it's kind of like, well, just go ahead and define it. <laughs> so you yeah. both know, we all know what's going on. It's not really important for the audience to know like you said, if they're sisters or cousins, it's kind of more important to see what's the dynamic between the characters. Yeah, when I talked before about boiling down everything that you might learn in an improv class to like, you know, if you only had to do one thing, mm-hmm. what are you going to do? Uh, if you can do a really bad scene where you know the who, what, where, and everybody's names and everybody's relationship and... Mm-hmm. All of the miming is perfect and, mm-hmm. you know, all of, all of those things. And it's like, okay, great. You painted a real clear picture of something that I don't care about <laughs> because nothing important happened. <laughs> right. Uh, and you can do a great scene where you're like, I didn't know who anybody was or where it was, but, you know, you really showed me one thing and made that important. That was, you know, it's much more... There's so much improv that is pointless, <laughs> and uh, and everything else. I see stand-up that is pointless. Like, oh yeah, come up with a point. The one, the one great thing I see about like sketch comedy as opposed to improvised comedy is if there's no point to the sketch, then the sketch just doesn't exist. You're like, well, what is this? Right. Um, and I think it's great for improv to realize that you know the point of improvising is not to have improvised it's not to have created something it's to have found a reason for people to watch you do this right that's the difference that's the difference between art and art therapy Mm -hmm. if you're doing it for yourself and there's no real point to it there's no real like statement being made or even like a a perspective a perspective or if, if somebody can't walk away and say it was the sketch about, 
you know, betrayal, or it was the sketch about that, uh, or the scene, I should say, about mm-hmm. that funny voice, or, <laughs> you know, he kept falling down, whatever else, and good or bad, and the kind that you like or not, uh, what makes it worthwhile is if there was something that was, that became the point of it. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like the, in stand up terms, the difference between a premise driven comic, someone who's just selling premises, and people who have punchlines. Yeah. You need that punchline. <laughs> you know? I mean, I'm not exactly a, a, a stand up expert, but I feel like if you were, if I saw stand up and the whole point was that they were like playing this character the whole time. Mm-hmm. And we never really got a premise or a setup or a punchline, but like the point of it was that they were uh, X character. Then, right. Then and I that's think that's that's right, and I think that's still coming with a more of a point of view and a perspective, which I think yeah. in turn is I'm I'm kind of equating that with punchline because you can't really get right. a punchline without. Having that, if you like the the premise driven comic would be like Dave Chappelle's character and Nutty Professor just going, women be shopping, you know, like that's <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, just a, there's really nothing to that. There's no real perspective that they are then making comments on. They're just saying the perspective over and over again or the premise of the joke over and over again. Yeah, and I you, feel like if yeah. you are a comedian, if you're trying to do something, what you need and what whoever else is around you, other mm-hmm. people in the scene, other, you know, partners, and the people watching you to be like, okay, well, what is, you know, what are we doing here? Why should I care? Mm-hmm. Is anything. It can be anything, as mm-hmm. long as you choose to invest in it. Right, exactly. Is that investing that's really crucial. And it's hard to invest when you're just thinking about what is it that's supposed to happen right now. Right. If you're focused on doing it wrong, then you're doing it wrong. <laughs> exactly. I just told uh, the team I coached that last night that most of the time when scenes don't go well or there's mistakes made, it's just because the players were worried about messing up. Right. It wasn't that anything they did was such a huge travesty. It's that they were worried that they were going to do something that was a huge travesty. And right. uh, that's the thing that gets in your head. And that's what you got to get out of your head. Agreed. Yeah. What sort of things do you have to avoid when you're doing a show with an audience member? I imagine you can't make them Irish or make them do some sort of acting work that you don't necessarily know they can do. Well, I, A, I give them permission to do that to me. <laughs> and it's inherent that they could. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, I think the inverse of that is if I do, I have to be willing to trust myself to deal with it. Mm-hmm. If I say, you know, if I say, mom, I, I need help with my homework. And my partner says, I'm not your mom. Cause they're not, they're in mm-hmm. that mode of they are who they are. Mm-hmm. Then I have to sort of turn that into a joke or, you know, make it part of the story. Right. I can say, you know, oh, here comes Irish break dancing grandma And maybe they try it, maybe they don't, Uh, but no matter what, I have to take the responsibility of dealing with the repercussions more than they do. Right. That's a smart approach. Yeah. I I mean, it's a nice approach, too. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, (laughs) 
<laughs> you're not putting them up to <laughs> to doing anything that they don't want to have to do. Um, <laughs> you already made them go on stage. Why why make them jump through hoops? <laughs> yeah. What is something we can create based on the processes that we've been talking about? Is it maybe how to take whatever is given and make it work? Like how to assume that the other person has a brilliant idea? Yeah, I think that that is a great mindset for people to be in. You can do an exercise where one person tries to be a bad improviser, tries to throw, like, say, curveballs at the other person, and it's up to them to do something with it. I love when that happens in my show, when when they challenge me with something, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I've had in my first show. I I named my partner uh, Karen, and she said that's not my name, and I had to deal with it. Okay, like oh, you're goth now, and you're you want your name to be Lady Raven or whatever. I ended up <laughs> picking. I've had a show recently where I come out as one character, and then I come out as a different character, and my partner says, "Oh, you look just like the other guy." Uh, yeah, we're twins. We run this restaurant together. You know, I have to <laughs> come up with something pretty quick. And ultimately, it just makes me look better to be able to do it. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I, imagine, I welcome yeah. that setup. It's, that's uh, the bar being raised. And it's probably pretty exciting for everyone, including them, when you clear the bar. Yeah. Very cool. I like it. Well, thanks for talking to me, Matt. Sure. I had fun. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, definitely. What a great chat. I really enjoyed that. I thought there were a lot of good nuggets of information in there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I think my favorite nugget of wisdom was the mantra, do something, do it more, do it bigger. That's a really simple way to approach doing improv so that you know how the structure works and how to create something. It's an easy way to not get lost in a scene. I think that's one of the biggest things that happens to people is they will get into a scene they don't know what to do so they panic i don't know what i'm supposed to do i don't know what i should do next we'll just do something and then do that more and then do it bigger simple enough right to find out more about matt and his show go to mattandimprov.com and you can also follow him on facebook at matt and improv Check out the podcast on social media, Twitter and Facebook at There It Is Pod. Check me out on Twitter at Jason Farr Jokes. And you can also go to thereitispod.com, find old episodes, and support. It'd be a nice birthday gift. <laughs> I'm kidding. Until next time, folks, be good to each other. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. 